Our sermon passage is from Hebrews 8, verses 6 through 13. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor, and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful towards their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete, and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. So, Father, this morning, in the name of Jesus, because of the blood of Jesus, and for the glory of Jesus, we ask that you would cause this word which you have sent to us to resound as an eternity-altering truth in us. I pray for people, I pray for families, I pray for this church, I pray for our community, I pray for our world that the truths of the new covenant in Jesus Christ would change all things. Start with me, start with us, Father. Father, would you do your work for your people, in your people, through your people. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you haven't already, please take your Bible and turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 8. As Austin said, if you didn't bring a Bible this morning, there are some under the chair in front of you. So this morning, um, if you were with us last week, we're returning to Hebrews chapter 8. I, I was in it last week, and we're coming back to it. And, and there's, there's a few explanations for that. One is because Hebrews 8, in many ways, is the central linchpin passage of the book of Hebrews. Second, Hebrews 8 leans heavily upon this idea of the new covenant and heavily upon a prophecy given in Jeremiah chapter 31. And the author of Hebrews is going to keep reaching back to the idea and back to the passage over and over and over again throughout chapter 8, chapter 9, and chapter 10. So it seems vital that we get our minds around this. And then third, I did a pretty poor job of explaining this passage last week. So if it's that important, it seems that 
we should be clear about it. So we're going to come back and look at the last part of Hebrews chapter 8 together. Um, the name of the sermon is New Covenant. And, and this is the point. Jesus brought the new covenant to the people of God. Jesus made clear and revealed the new covenant to the people of God. And in this covenant, there is the forgiveness of sins, acceptance into the family of God, and new life. In this new covenant, there is the eternal forgiveness of sins, the eternal acceptance into the family of God and new life for the glory of God that begins now and carries into eternity. That's what this passage is going to argue for us. So if you're a note taker, the first point this morning is new covenant. New covenant. Now, as we look at this, I think this is really important that we we get our minds here around this idea. This language of a new covenant is not something that I'm creating for um, good preaching. This language is not something that a particular church tradition created to drive its points home. This language is not something that theologians who like to sit around and pontificate in classrooms created to pontificate about. This language of a new covenant comes directly from God, directly from His Son Jesus, and directly from the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The Scriptures give us this language and this concept of a new covenant. And that's really important for us to to begin with there. We're not trying to create new categories of thought. We are trying to receive and believe and appropriate the categories of thought that the Bible gives to us. And that distinction is really, really vital as we start to flesh this out. We're not trying to take a particular tradition Redeemer is is in the Baptistic tradition. We're not trying to take a particular tradition and make up language to further our tradition and therefore shun other traditions. Now you might be from a tradition that disagrees with what I say today and I'm not here to fight with you, but it's also important that we all agree we're not making up words for our tradition. We're trying to wrestle with the thought categories that the Scripture gives to us. So just look. Chapter 8, verse 6. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant He mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. So, so just be, if, if you believe that the Holy Spirit inspired Hebrews 8, we have the language of first and second Better and not better, faultless and with fault. These categories are being inserted in the Word of God. Okay, so so I'm not adding this stuff to the conversation. It's there. Then he's going to quote a long block quote from Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34 
where long before Jesus, hundreds of years before Jesus, God said, look for a new covenant that will be different. And then in verse 13, in speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. So so just merely, I'm asking you to grant to me that this category of old and new and things being different under the new than they were under the old is something that the Scripture is giving to us. So as I said, Jeremiah 31, 31 31-34, this huge block quote in the middle of this passage, hundreds of years before Jesus, both Israel and Judah, the divided kingdoms of God, are in exile. They're separated from the land. They're separated from the temple. They're separated from the promises. And the people are wondering what's going to happen to us. And God says, look for this new covenant that will be different and it will be better. Then Jesus enters the scene. And what does Jesus say? He says, I am the bringer of the new covenant. So much so that when he was instituting the Lord's Supper on the night before he died, Luke chapter 22, verse 20, Jesus lifted the cup and he said, This, if it was a Seder, the cup of judgment, this is the new covenant in my blood. So you see what he does there? Yes, he ties it to God's always and forever redemption, but he says, I'm the bringer of a new covenant. Paul then picks up on that. Don't want to mess up my Bible references here. Preachers can't do that. Paul picks up on that in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And when he's teaching of the Lord's Supper, he says, I give to you what was given to me. Jesus lifted up the cup and said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink of it. And then here in the book of Hebrews, this idea that Jesus is the bringer of a new covenant is not a man-made idea. It's how Jesus and the Father through the Holy Spirit explained the coming and the life and the death and the resurrection and the ministry of Jesus. So we're wrestling with it because God wants us to. Okay. What is so good and so much better about this new covenant? The way this argument is going to be made, it's going to, like, like, honestly, the author of Hebrews is writing the way I wrote research papers in high school. Find a long block quote, Control C, Control V, argument made, print. I'm like, give me a little bit more, dude. He just quotes Jeremiah 31 as if it seals the deal. So we learn about this new covenant verbatim from what was given by Jeremiah, what was promised long before Jesus came. So look with me. We'll read the Jeremiah as it is in Hebrews chapter 9. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them. So this is really important. When he talks about old, he's talking about the law of Moses given in the books of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And That particular old covenant, Galatians chapter 3, verse 16 tells us, was a placeholder to carry the people to the Savior. It was a placeholder 
to, to take away the sin of the people and cause the people to faithfully represent God until the Savior would come. That's Galatians 3, verse 16. But in this temporary covenant, the people were blessed for their obedience and not blessed for their disobedience. So much so that they showed so much disobedience and dishonored the name of the Lord so much that He sent them into exile. And that's what makes the new covenant so much better. Jesus came to bring the eternal salvation of God to the people of God in an always and forever unending sense, no matter our faithfulness, but based upon His. That's the newness. Let me say that one more time. What's better about the new is Jesus did all the work and gave His life as a sacrifice so that He could make us acceptable to God forever. Verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law into their minds and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one or his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sin no more. So what makes the new covenant so good? Let's take those in reverse order. Number one. God says, under this new covenant, because of the Savior who is to come, I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. What he's saying is their sins will forever be taken away because of Jesus. Under the new covenant, the sins of the people are forever taken away. Second, under the new covenant... Everyone who is in Christ will know the Lord, be known by the Lord, call the people of the Lord, and He will be their God. Under the new covenant, everyone who is in Christ will be known by the Lord, will be received by the Lord, and He will forever be their God, and they will forever be His people. Now guys, I'm a pastor, okay? And what that means is not that I write one sermon and take naps and play golf all week. What that means, by the way, I would never choose to play golf all week. Like, that's like purgatory for me. <laughs> Eternal rounds of golf. But what that means is I'm like a spiritual plumber. Like, I'm always elbow deep in everybody's mess. That's what I'm called to do. It's what I do. So I know enough about my own heart. I know enough about enough hearts in this room that there should be a lot of joy in the fact that our place in the Father's family doesn't depend upon us. But it depends upon His Son who has brought the everlasting covenant. The good news of the new covenant is that we will forever be His people and he will forever be our God and everyone who is in the covenant every person in the covenant will know the Lord from the least of them to the greatest I kind of just want to go sit down and let that warm your soul up man I I don't want to compare services but they got great amens in the first service I felt better about myself as a preacher about an hour and a half ago. 
This is good. This is good. Third, in the new covenant, God will see the hearts of the people and He will change it. In the new covenant, God will see the hearts of the people, but rather than giving conditional blessings and curses, He will change their hearts. That's what it means when he says, I will put my law into their minds and I will write my law on their hearts. What he's saying is, my desires, my will, my commands will be so implanted in my people that they'll be changed by it. Transformed. So the new covenant is the fulfillment and the extension of all the the ways that God has revealed Himself throughout all of history in such a way that we see that in Jesus Christ, all who are united to God through faith in Jesus have their sins forever taken away, are forever given a place in the family of God, and are forever changed by the work of the Holy Spirit. That's what we see makes this new covenant so good. Now thanks to one of you in this room who prefers to remain nameless, I really spent some time this week trying to make sure we're not muddling up the Bible and making things more unclear than they need to be. And so this idea of new covenant, old covenant, how do we think about that? At the end of Hebrews, you can turn over there, Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. The author's going to end the book with this benediction, this prayer, this blessing. And he says, Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant. And, and he goes on with the blessing. And so you notice what he does there is he calls the blood of Jesus the blood of what? The blood of the eternal covenant. But here in chapter 9, he's called it the new covenant. Well, guess what? They're the same covenant. And eternal goes both ways. So that means that if it's an eternal covenant, God always and forever will only bring his blessings of the covenant through his son Jesus. And that also goes backward, and that means that always and forever, God is only intended to save people through his son Jesus. And so throughout the Old Testament, we see God revealing himself to Adam and Eve in the garden and then revealing himself to um, Noah and then revealing himself to Abraham and then revealing himself to the children of Israel under Moses in Exodus Leviticus number Deuteronomy and then revealing himself under the prophets and then finally and fully revealing himself in Jesus, that great last word. And so nothing changes ever in the way God intended to save. God always saves through faith in His Redeemer. We just get more clarity about it. But what this passage also points out in calling the Old Covenant old and in calling it obsolete and in saying it's passing away is that there were great pieces of that Mosaic law in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy that Jesus came to fulfill and change. And so the church of Jesus 
we do stand on this eternal work of God whereby people are saved through faith in God's Redeemer, but it's okay for us to make peace with the fact that the new covenant looks new. It's, we don't have to apologize that there are some differences between the new covenant and the old covenant. And we don't have to tie and root everything that we do as a church back in the old covenant. Jesus brought new. It's okay. So that leads to the second point. New life in the new covenant. And By the way, I'm going to preach with passion, and if you disagree with me, we can go to lunch and you can pay, and we'll have a great lunch. But I'm going to preach with conviction. My calling here is not to divide the house or not to draw lines in the sand. My calling here is to instruct the people that God has made a part of this covenant community to live in faithfulness. So if it's true that Jesus is the bringer of a new covenant, then what does new life in the new covenant look like? That's application, by the way. You're like, give me something practical. This whole point is your practical. But I'm going to preach and we might be home by two. Okay. Number one. New life in the new covenant. Number one. New covenant and new life is now. It's now. The fruit and the work of Jesus that he brought, that, that Hebrews 8 calls the new covenant, that is for the present. And the future but for the present. So we live in the new covenant reality now. We live under the new covenant lordship of Jesus now. Now we will for all of eternity, but it is for now. Verse 13, In speaking of a new covenant, He makes the first one obsolete, and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. The new is now. Number two, the new covenant calls us to lives shaped by new life. The new covenant calls us to lives shaped by new life. I'm borrowing the phrase new life from Ephesians chapter 2. But God being rich in His mercy made us alive through Christ. We were dead, we've been made alive, and then... Ephesians 2, verses 9 and 10 says, And He has created good works that we would walk in them because we are alive. And that's just all very consistent with verse 10 here where He says, I will put My laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. God intends His people to be transformed by His grace. Whatever you have been, God intends to change that. Not to shame you, but for your good and for His glory and for a testimony of His power in the world. Now, there is a movement amongst evangelicals. There's a movement amongst Reformed people. There's a movement amongst thinking people to say, well, if we're saved by grace, then we can't tell people what to do. The movement says if it's by grace, then works can't be involved. This passage would say, yeah, by grace, God changed your heart and changed your mind and changed your desires such that your life would look different. We might also say, just read the Bible. If we can't tell people what to do, half of the New Testament is a heretical waste of time. 
Now, don't do anything to earn salvation because that's fruitless. But we who have been made alive, who are the children of the covenant, we're told here we have the law of God written on our hearts. And the law of God changes things when it changes our hearts and gives us a new one. So go ahead, Christian. Posture yourself to be different because that's why God saved you. I'm a father. Which necessarily means that I hate Legos. <laughs> See, I got more amens about the Legos. I'm two for two on the Legos. You guys have seen that, that YouTube video called um, Father Boot Camp? And the guy's barefooted jogging on a treadmill and people are pouring buckets of Legos on the top of the treadmill where he has to like step on them and not fall off? If you get that, you're a dad. So occasionally I'll walk into my playroom and there's just millions of Legos. Like you can't walk anywhere. It's like Chernobyl for Legos. It's just everywhere. And I just walk in and I'm like, I can't even. And I go back downstairs. But my wife goes in and she patiently makes the kids come in with her. And like 30 minutes later, like it's all gone. The playroom has been made new. All of a sudden, it's a playroom again. It has carpet. There's nothing hidden under stuff. It's all back where it belongs. And it's a shining testimony to the brilliance of my wife. And the fact that she's a better parent than I am. That's kind of what this passage is saying. Is God doesn't need us to be better. His son took away all the wrath of all of our sin. But he is choosing to make himself known in the world by taking total wrecks and changing us and making something new. And so we obey the Lord because it glorifies him and because that's what new hearts do. They live new lives. Number three, because of this new covenant, we will embrace our eternal acceptance before I often think in our gospel presentations, we just move right past eternal acceptance. Sin equals condemnation and hell, and Jesus got us out of that. True. But sin equals eternal separation from the Father. And our hearts were made to know and to be cared for and to be nurtured by the love of the Father. And until our hearts are rooted in and settled in the love of the Father, we will just be wayward Ships tossed to and fro trying to find peace after peace after peace in all the wrong places. And what this says is God looks on everyone in Christ and says forever my people. You will be my people. And the new covenant brings it and makes it real. I just can't help but think the more captured we are by the truth of our eternal acceptance in the presence of the Father, the more overwhelmed we would be by His grace and His mercy. The more joy we would find in this life, the more fruitful we would find ourselves for the kingdom and for the church, the less we would depend on lateral horizontal relationships to fulfill us when lateral horizontal relationships never can fulfill us. Number four, 
No. Yes, number four. If this new covenant promise is now, then the local church is a new covenant community. If this promise is for now, then the local church is a new covenant community. And what I mean by that is these principles of the new covenant are intended to shape the local church because the local church is the gathering of the people of Jesus. The local church is the physical expression of the universal church. And if this is true, then it's intended to shape the local church. Now notice, in the new covenant, in the new covenant reality, everyone who belongs to the covenant knows the Lord. So that means that the local church is made up of those who know the Lord by faith. Believers in Jesus are those who make up the local church. Theological term, regenerate church membership. Remember it, don't remember it, I don't care. But the idea is that the new covenant community is made up of those who know Christ and have received the blessings of His salvation. Number two, the new covenant community is made up of all types of people. From the least of them to the greatest. It doesn't matter where you were born. It doesn't matter what religion you grew up in. It doesn't matter what mistakes you've made or didn't make. It doesn't matter how self-righteous or not self-righteous you have been. It doesn't matter where you went to school. It doesn't matter how smart you are. It doesn't matter how much money you make. It doesn't matter what sins you struggle with. All are invited into the community if we enter through Christ. And those who enter through Christ have new hearts changing who we are. Honestly, I've talked to several of you. Your biggest barrier to coming to faith in Jesus is believing that Jesus accepts all types of people from the least of them to the greatest. It also means that our practices within the church are shaped by this new covenant reality. So that means that the practice of the Lord's Supper and the practice of baptism, the two ordinances of the church, are intended to be shaped by this new covenant reality. So it's not an accident that here at Redeemer we say the Lord's Supper is a meal of celebration of what Jesus who has done for all who have truly believed in Him and entered into the covenant community. Luke 22, verse 20 Jesus lifted the cup, said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The idea is that the Lord's Supper is a feast of celebration for those who are a part of the new covenant community. Don't want to exclude anyone. We don't want to make anyone feel excluded. But if you're not part of the new covenant community, it's just a snack. But as part of the New Covenant community, it's a declaration of the greatness of Jesus. It's a means of grace that draws us deeper and, and further into holiness and obedience unto Him. Because it renews our love for Him. Second, or next, the practice of the church, uh, kind of the entrance into the local church ceremonially, the New Testament gives us is baptism. And if this new covenant community, this new covenant reality is true, then the, the sign of the covenant of baptism is for those who have truly been initiated into the covenant through faith in Jesus. 
What we're saying is baptism is those for those who have repented and believed and already belong to the Lord and therefore are being baptized as a sign of entrance into the people of the Lord. So baptism is for Christians. Baptism doesn't accomplish anything in and of itself. We don't need baptism to become the children of God, but baptism is for those who are a part of the New Covenant community. So if you read the book of Acts, particularly chapter 2, verses 37 through 41, the question is asked, what must we do in light of the fact that Jesus is Lord, Jesus died, Jesus rose again, Jesus ascended into heaven? And the answer is, repent and believe, be baptized, and become a part of the, become a part of the body. We put that in local parlance by saying, become a Christian, be baptized, become a part of the church. This isn't an accidental pattern of convenience. We would argue this is the new covenant pattern laid out in the New Testament. So as a new covenant community, the church is called upon to be made up of believers of all types who celebrate the Lord's Supper and baptism as signs of the new covenant. Now, some of you might want to argue and say, but that offers great discontinuity between the new and the old. To which I would say, yes. Hebrews 8 gives me permission for that discontinuity. The new covenant is now. Lives lives shaped by new life. Lives shaped by eternal acceptance with the Father. A church shaped by the new covenant. Fifth, a view of children shaped by the new covenant, a view of children shaped by the new covenant. Now, I'm kind of playing pastor here, and I'm wanting to talk directly to parents here at Redeemer. Now, this is implication of the passage. The the passage doesn't talk about children, but this is implication here. We love children here at Redeemer. We value your children deeply. We want them to know the Lord and to know His blessings and to know the fruit of walking with Him. Which means our children's greatest need is to enter the covenant of Jesus through faith. Our children's greatest need is to enter the covenant of Jesus by repenting of their sin, by professing faith in Jesus, And then as a sign of that faith being baptized. And then as a sign of that faith and that place in the kingdom taking the Lord's Supper frequently. We believe our children matter, but we also believe that they need faith in Jesus. Sure, our children are advantaged by growing up in a Christian home where they've been prayed for before they came out of the womb. They've been taught about Christ. They've been a part of a church. They are greatly advantaged, but our children need Jesus, and we are called upon to labor for their salvation and see them enter into this new covenant, not through birth into our families, but through their faith in Jesus. Sixth. Our mission is shaped by this new covenant. Our mission is shaped by this new covenant. Israel and the house of Judah, they were totally divided. Sent off into exile at different times. God says the new covenant's for all of them. This new covenant language shows up in other places 
um, in Isaiah, for example, and we're told that, that not only will the new covenant be for Israel and for Judah, but it'll be for the Gentiles and for all the nations. And the idea is everyone, no matter how far away, no matter how small or how great, is extended the offer of salvation through Jesus. Our mission is fueled by the fact that God is eager to deliver people from every nation, every language, every people, every tribe, and every tongue through the blood of Jesus. This covenant is for all the peoples. And so this new covenant reality fuels and shapes and pushes us outward just as much as it fuels and shapes who we are inward. How do we conclude this today? I conclude this by saying the new covenant is good news. May it shape everything about us. Worship team, you guys can go ahead and come up. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 26. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So as the people of the new covenant, we invite you, all of you who are children of God through faith in Jesus, we invite you to take this bread and take this cup as a declaration of remembrance of the salvation that Jesus has brought to us. If you're here today and you're not a child of God, we would ask that you let the, the bread and the cup pass, not because we want to exclude you, but because we don't want you to settle for the symbol. We want you to meet the Savior. We'd love to help you do that today, tomorrow, or any time in the near future. So we're going to sing. These guys are going to pass out the bread and the cup. I'll come back in a few minutes and we'll take them together.